116 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd, and we are broadcasting here deep within the bowels of Magenta Manor in the Pat Cave, and I only say the bowel thing because it drives you nuts. And we, of course, as part of the Dark Dorkening Network, are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Uh, once you go deadly, you don't go back. Whoa, I don't know what that was, but that was like some weird robot fart. Uh, but I am, of course, joined by my co-host on the show and my co-host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess, Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of Wine, the... Uh, what else we got? Uh, the Queen of the Monsters and an honorary Lizzie. It's Ashes Von Nightmare. Hi, guys. I'm really excited for this episode. I'm really excited for this day. I'm really excited for this week. Because not only is it Shark Week, and that's going to tie into our topic that we are discussing this today. Shark I was going to say this week. A lot of week stuff. But... It is the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's my favorite time of the year. Now, typically this time of the year happens In a couple June. of months ago. <laughs> but, you know, time is irrelevant now. Uh, so the fact that it's the Stanley Cups and it's Shark Week, Stanley Cups. Tin, <laughs> Tin Cups. <laughs> I've been doing that a lot today. I've been... Uh, pluralizing things that don't necessarily need to be pluralized. Well, see, what happened? I am currently, so I, uh, as my, my day job as a mad scientist, I'm currently training a couple of newbies in my lab, and I try to make myself not sound not so stupid, and today I just had a horrible day. I was pluralizing everything, and I was like, you know what, we're just going to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's not your fault. I mean, we were up last night. We were waiting for the Bruins to start. They were supposed to start at 8 o'clock last night, but the Lightning and Blue Jackets started at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and went till quarter past 9 because they had five overtimes. It's crazy. It's the fourth longest Absolutely game crazy. in history. It's so cool, though. It was so fun. But, but that's not of, what we're talking about right, today. But because of the bubble... The Eastern Conference teams only have one arena to play in, so you have to wait an hour and a half after one game ends before you can start the next one. And since they had no idea when it was going to start, they're just like, Bruins, you're playing tomorrow at 11 a.m. And they won in double overtime today, and I was on a conference call while the game was on, and I had to, like, restrain from yelling and screaming. But... <laughs> No, as you can tell, we have some guests on today, and Woo! this is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about our guests and sharks, and uh, two of, very high quality topics. One of our guests has a very interesting overlap on that on that uh, subject today, and I'm very interested to talk to him about that. But uh, we are joined today by the creative force behind so so much horror and blood and, and awesomeness yeah there's some good stuff that is uh, not only already been done but some good stuff that's coming out mm -hmm. uh, we were of course joined by marcus slabine and elizabeth piper folks how are you this evening we're doing great we're great thank yeah. you thanks so much for having us on yeah, oh of you. course like this is way overdue um i know 
Marcus, I know uh, we've met because uh, we met at the Dead of Autumn Horror Festival last year. Yep. That was a really good time. And uh, you might notice I'm uh, – because we're on video. Like, we're only recording the audio, but we are on video right now. You might notice I have my – my nice little scarf, and I was like, you know what? I'm like, Marcus can rock the shit out of a scarf. You know what? Like, I think I'm going to start, I'm going to, that's going to be my thing. I'm going to copy him, and I'm never going to see him because he's in New York. So, like, he won't think I copied him, but, you know, of course, now the cat's out of the bag. Oh, I say go for it, my man. I say go for it. Yeah, you had that sweet, <laughs> shining you Overlook You have no hotel. idea. So, we all, uh, after Dead of Autumn, went out to that fantastic little diner and had, like, a late night brunch breakfast brunch yeah. thing and yeah. and on the way home so we lived about we live about an hour or so from yeah give or take hour the, hour 10 the festival the the thing was and the entire way home all he could talk about was your scarf <laughs> like I, I absolutely like he was like oh my god did you see that scarf i wonder where i can get a scarf like that do you think i could rock a scarf well, i think i should start where. wearing scarves he told me it was uh, middle of beyond and it's the uh, overlook hotel uh carpet pattern from yep. the shining yep. and uh, which seems to be a running theme with uh, a lot of your accessories uh, you've got <laughs> you've got your mask you've got uh you've got a shirt i think you've got like I want to say you have a bathrobe, but like that might be—I might be thinking of something else. I don't have a bathrobe yet. Um, I have—I have a new um, uh, a face mask. Oh, I have a Charles Bronson face mask that I also—I've been wearing a lot. That's the bottom half of Charles Bronson's face. Amazing. But I—I I do have a um, a shining pattern um, face mask that goes over and it goes down to um, co- covers my neck. Uh, but also, I also have um, Christmas sweaters. They're not um, shining Christmas sweaters. But there's an Evil Dead 2 one. But my favorite is the Bill and Ted one. So I'm a huge Bill and Ted fan. And it's uh, it's like an 8-bit version of them. And then all the uh, historical figures are all on the bottom. And on the back it says Wild Stallions with their guitars and stuff. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I love Middle of Beyond. They're, they're, they're amazing. And their their stuff is just... It just speaks to my soul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they're high quality... And uh, yeah, I, I I need to start my collection. Like right now, I've got this. This this is nice because it's very light, so I can wear it during uh, during the summer. Like it's very thin; you can see right through it. So well, I I feel like we need because you know we're the only ones who can see this. That's true. Our listeners, like, you know, this is an audio podcast. Remember? Yeah, but I've also been so, posting the pictures. Well, not everyone is friends with you on Facebook. Not everyone has a Facebook account. So right now, Patsy is currently wa- uh, rocking this like nice light black scarf. It's almost like a kind of like maybe chiffon feeling a little bit. Um, and it has these cute chosen. little white skulls on it. Now, fun fact, that's my scarf. He stole it. I got it in a I got it in a package the other day from some stuff that I bought from Scully Couture, who is a fantastic jewelry and uh, accessory, accessory. Um, vendor from conventions that are conventions aren't happening right now. So she is currently doing monthly online sales. So I I'm gonna need that. <laughs> oh well, we'll send it to you. She's yeah. phenomenal. You've probably met her at one of these cons. Um, I read of, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. She does like she makes jewelry as well. Like she goes to that gems show in 
Tucson, I think it's Tucson, Arizona, that big gem thing every year uh, and gets a whole bunch of gemstones. And that's what she makes her jewelry out of. She also does uh like goes to estate sales and garage sales and yard sales and stuff and gets these like vintage pieces too that are really cool and she does scarves and like nerdy pieces and stuff like she sent me i got a hand of the king um, pen from her and you got that awesome like snake necklace yes my my my, my slytherin necklace um so yeah she's She's fantastic, and she has been doing these monthly, she calls them, like, underground uh, sales. Uh, she does, like, a live video where she presents the product, and you can uh, not so much bid on it, but claim, you know, your, your sold items and stuff. So, yeah, I'll absolutely, I'll post the link everywhere uh, on all the Throwdown Thursday stuff, but I will, I will message you the, the link as well. But, but yes, any... Please. Yes, she's fantastic, and she's super nice too, and she's adorable. And, um, but anyways, yeah. So I I got a box full of stuff from the last sale the other day, and I was opening it up, and he's like, "Oh, what'd you get? What'd you get?" And I'm like, "Oh, I got this. You know, I've started Christmas shopping a little early, and you know, got stuff for my sister." And and I was like, "Oh, she threw in this scarf," and he was just like, oh, "Mine, Yoink. <laughs> mine." <laughs> I was like, "Well." I, I, I guess it's yours. I kind of like it too. Elizabeth, I sent you a, a, an invite to that group. Oh, great. Um, but yeah, so today we are, uh, because we get so easily sidetracked on this show, because that's, <laughs> that's my fault. That's my fault. But uh, we're going to start off, before we start talking about who you guys are and what you do, we have our getting into character questions. and. Mm. We've Super been, vital, important yeah. questions that we just absolutely have to know. Yeah, we've been getting into some uh, some interesting interesting things lately. Um, so, you guys are are part of the film industry uh, in various capacities, and so I have to ask uh, because I'm a huge fan of practical effects, and I I know you guys are fans of old school horror and practical effects as well. So. Uh, this is for both of you. Which, uh, which scene do you prefer? Which do you think has the superior practical effects? Uh, Frank's regeneration in Hellraiser, or the entire defibrillator scene in The Thing? Oh, my. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, damn. <laughs> There's no wrong answer. Like they're both phenomenal. They're, both, they're both so iconic and both of them like are truly game changers. Mm -hmm. So I I'm I'm leaning towards the thing because I've listened to some of the behind the things and some of the things that they did sounded like they were practically gonna explode the whole property. <laughs> and the fact that they made effects that were uh, that extreme and, you know, trying things that new that they were just, you know, throwing things together. Um, that makes me go towards that one. But they're both so amazing. That's that's hard. See, I might, I might have to go with the Hellraiser. Hell, the Hellraiser scene is amazing. Because, like, like, Hellraiser also is, like, one of those films that kind of came out of nowhere. And, like, it's... That scene always gets me. I mean, both scenes are always like, 
I always watch it and I'm like, holy shit, this still looks really, really good. And it's, it's like, if you, it's better than half the stuff you see today. Mm-hmm. And like, but the scene in Hellraiser, it just, it also goes on for a while. Like, I mean, he starts from a puddle and then turns into like, I mean, his whole generation, um, a regeneration of, of him with all the makeup effects and everything that they do with him is just it astounding. It's very intricate. Yeah. They, I, I don't know how you could have done that without like a full team of people. Yeah. And that was low budget too. Yeah, it seems like most of the budget might have gone to that scene. Because, oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it was, I mean, it still is brilliant. Like, it's so well done. And it's it like, is. yes, I know it's shot in reverse for the most part, you know, but it's still, it's it still doesn't brilliant. matter. Like, it reminds me a lot of the uh, the scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark with the, the face-melting Nazi there. That's true. Yeah. Um, and they showed, like, in the behind-the-scenes thing, like, on, I think, one of the DVDs I have, like, it, they talked about how they did that, where they made layers and layers and layers of this, like, prosthetic head, and then they melted it and, like, time-lapsed it, and it was just so cool. Like, somebody, like, oh, we know exactly how to do it. We're going to recreate it. And they went to recreate it, and it didn't look half as good, yeah. you know, 30 years later. So. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the first question. So those these are the types of questions that we ask. Oh, I love it was, this. It was hard though. So I know, but like, but no, They're but that's good. that's so good though. Like, yeah, it's just... not, it, ma- it makes me want to rewatch both scenes though. It really does. Although yeah. I do think, for me, I think the thing is honestly a perfect movie. It's like mm-hmm. there's not a second of that film you could take out and have it be better. It's just. Is from from opening from the opening frame to the final credit is just a masterpiece of cinema. I mean, I I could talk Carpenter all day. I just absolutely love everything he's done. Well, at some point we'll have to. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Ashes. So you both live in New York City, and New York City is known for having some of the best food you can find. So my question for you is. What is the best thing you've eaten in the city? Ooh. Oh. Well, right now we live in Astoria. Um, so the best thing around us is Greek food. And we have this really great place that's only three blocks away that has gourmet Greek food that's mm. insanely good. Like lemon potatoes um, with a little bit of rosemary, um, moussaka, oh, the salmon. It, it it's it's really good, <laughs> but I I envy Boston's uh, Chinatown, that that I envy. <laughs> in Canton, Canton yes. Chinatown. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I mean, but also in Astoria, we also have if you like comfort food, there's oh. a place called uh, Queen's Comfort, which you walk in and it is literally wall to wall '80s childhood toys. Like there's Pee Wee Herman dolls. So there's cool. like GI Joes. There's Ghostbusters. There's He Man's. There's everything. There's like the Bill and Ted action figures, and it's just wall to wall. There's like Michael Jackson. There's ET. There's all this stuff, and everything there is amazing. They got like Atomic Fireballs and um, the Ring of Fire Burger, which has two different jalapenos. I'm a I'm a spice guy. I love hot sauce and I love anything spicy. So it's it's a pretty solid heat. They also do this giant breakfast burrito. That's and like brunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can only go twice. Like 
It's like open for four hours for brunch, and then it's open, then they close so they can switch their food, and then they open for four hours in the evening. And usually there's like before in the before time, there was like a line around the door, and they had a comedian avatar was his name, great guy, um, who would tell jokes and um, entertain you while you were waiting in line to yeah. get into this place. And they had ten, at least ten different types of eggs Benedict. Oh, wow. Like some with bacon, honey, like uh, pecan crusted bacon with honey oh. or balsamic and tomato or fried green tomato. <laughs> it's just That's incredible. insane. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget there. We, we the, could talk about food all day. Yeah. Don't, don't forget the, uh, the sugar, the sugar hill burger. That's yeah. like. And the mac um, and cheese. Oh, the mac and cheese. It's buffalo chicken mac and cheese. Yes. But, like, they have, like, so bacon good. that's, like, covered in, like, so maple syrup. And then they put, like, um, oh, not golden grams. Um, Cinnamon uh, Toast Crunch? Uh, no. Uh, uh, no, the Flintstones. What is it? Fruity Pebbles. Fruity Pebbles. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's not burgers. even close. <laughs> <laughs> like, Fruit Loops? No, nah, it can't be that. That would taste horrible on a burger. <laughs> No, I just meant, like, you said Golden Grams, and you're like, no, not Golden Grams. So I'm like, oh, it must be Cinnamon Toast Crunch. You're like, no, Fruity Pebbles. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, my mind hops around in weird places. <laughs> um, all right, so third question. This will be the the last one because we have a lot to talk to you guys about. Um, what is the best ice cream topping? And do you switch it out? When it comes to different flavors, like, oh, vanilla is great. And if I add, you know, put hot fudge on it, like, that's the best. But if I'm having chocolate, I need to put strawberry syrup on it, you know. So what's I, your I, ideal combination? My ideal combination since I was a kid is chocolate ice cream with raspberries. Ooh, really? Ooh. Good. Me, I mean, I grew up in Stoughton, Massachusetts. I would always go to Friendly's. Um, so, um, cause there was a friendlies right by him, uh, where I lived and, um, I'd always get mint chocolate chip ice cream, unless it was summer and they had their, um, their watermelon roll, which is always, amazing. yes. Um, and like buying the store bought one doesn't even come. It's close. not the same. It's, it's just not, it's, it's not made with love. I'm sorry. Um, but, um, I would, I would get hot fudge and Jimmy's. I always call them Jimmy's, and if you if you call them Jimmy's out here in New York, no one knows what you're talking I about. I didn't know what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I, I ask for it all the time. They're like, "What, Jimmy? No, my name's Kyle. What would you want?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a regional thing, like Bubla. Yeah, Bubla. You know, oh, what's that? It's a water fountain. Oh. <laughs> um. So that's that's the getting into character question. So now we learned a little bit about you guys, you know. And now we're really hungry. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, we'll I've be been back I've been uh, counting to... calories the last <laughs> few days, and now I'm like, man, I want a giant donut burger. <laughs> oh. um, so you guys, uh, Elizabeth, I want to start with you because I'm really impressed with the. Uh, the product that you have made. So tell us a little bit about that because it's fantastic. Well, first, thank you. Um, my product is Cine Blood Type O. Type O, like the universal blood donor. Um, basically, Cine Blood Type O is um, my blood product that comes out of everything. 
and it's also edible. It comes out of floorboards. It comes out of cement. It comes out of clothing. It comes out of uh, pretty much everything. And there's an instructional use on my website, um, just in case people are wondering, you know, what can I do? What can I get the most out of this product? Um, and it's all listed there on my website, which is um, cinebloodtypo.biz. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I started off, um, you know, early when I was doing special effects, trying to figure out. I used um, the uh, detergent blood that's really bright colored. And <laughs> I, I see the face you're making, which, yeah, I, I hate the color of it. It's, it's very fluorescent. Um, so in serious movies, you can't use that because mm. it's not, you know, it's not the right shade. Um, so I thought, you know, this is great. It, it comes off my clothing, but, you know, it's, it's not the right color. What could I do? What could I make that could, you know, look really good? So I started messing around with different ingredients. Um, and I made something that I thought really... Uh, uniquely look good as a light blood and a dark blood combined. Um, and after using it for a while, I noticed that it came out of things really easily. And with the ingredients, I, you know, it's also edible. So I started putting two and two together and thought, you know, maybe I should go ahead and sell this. <laughs> so a good plan. I did the whole patenting thing and yeah, it, yeah, just snowballed. And when you say uh, came out of, it comes out of stuff, what you mean is like it doesn't stain, like you can clean it, it up easily. Exactly. It doesn't stain, and um, it, it comes out of most things right away. Um, clothing, you know, you wash it out in, into the sink, and then you throw it in the washer if you, there's any extra residue, and it, it comes out. Came out of wigs, too? Yes, it came out of wigs, too. Bleach blonde wigs, <laughs> which I... Also found out recently, a friend of mine uh, used it for one of her films, and she sent me a video, and she's like, it comes out of the bleach blonde wig! And I'm like, oh, great, yay! Who starred in that film? Uh, Barbara Crampton. Very so, nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely, so it's Barbara Crampton approved. <laughs> definitely put that on the bottle and put right. that on the website. <laughs> You really should. You really should. Especially for the people who are, you know, your target audience here is like that's. Yeah. We will have links for this in the uh, in the, the, the show, show notes, notes stuff, yeah. because oh, I've gone to the website and I've actually suggested your your stuff to a couple of people. Um, oh, you. you know, over the last couple of years, and we actually talked to somebody who is a blood expert, and I got to ask her if uh, she's familiar with it. Ooh. Uh, I think she recommend perma blood is the uh, is the, uh, the stuff that she recommended when we interviewed her. Uh, I don't know much about it. I'm not as well versed in the fake blood as uh, as other folks. But. Yeah, we usually use the stuff, and we've gotten away from this. I use the stuff from like the Hollywood, not the Hollywood, the Halloween costume stores, like the super cheap stuff that stains everything. Forty-five cents for six gallons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you have like these pink streaks all over you for yep. weeks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's fine for Halloween, not so great on Thanksgiving. Well, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I decided to sell mine, especially for um, blood squibs, you know, on mm. sets that, mm -hmm. you know, things pop off and, you know, you go to clean it up and it's like, you know, scrubbing it off. It, it, 
gets difficult. So I started recommending my blood. And uh, where might people have seen your blood? They may have seen it on a show called Evil. Um, they may have seen it on another movie called Alterscape. Um, also, oh, Burn, which is a indie movie. Um, what else has it been on? Um, our, 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 um, all of our shoots. Um, also, the Dark Offerings. They will be seeing it. Lots tons, of it. Lots of it on that. Tons of that. On that show. Movie. Well, it'll, it'll be in the Barbara Crampton movie, Jacob's Ladder. Or, no, not Jacob's Ladder. Just, um, not Jacob's Ladder. What is it? Jacob's Wife? Jacob's Wife. Yeah, yeah. Jacob's Wife. Um, well, maybe he the... married the ladder. You know, maybe it's both. Yeah, yeah it's a sequel, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Um, also, um, The Living, a film that's on Netflix called The Living. With Pretty Frank much, Krantz. Yep with Brian Kranz, pretty much all of the films I've ever done. Um, I've used that, my, my blood on Jocelyn Donahue from Insidious 2 is in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Michael Ironside is in Alterscape. I, I got to do some effects on him. That's and, cool. Well, it's my blood, which he appreciated. <laughs> he got to drink some of my blood. That's so cool. That's such a weird, weird sentence, but... Well, I was going to yeah. say, if somebody just dropped in right now and had no context, like, Michael Ironside drank my blood, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the film world. We always have very interesting sentences. I was going to say, he hasn't really aged in the last 30 years. Like, he looks the same now as he did in Scanners, so... He does. <laughs> he does. That's amazing. probably why. <laughs> uh, Plus, no, I just have to aside... That Bathory shoot that you did using oh. your blood, amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I, I'm actually going to be um, showing some more pictures soon, and I, I, I get drenched in it. That's oh, yeah. awesome. Show that it actually does come out of everything. <laughs> it's yeah. my product, so I figured, you know, if other people are going to get drenched in it, I might as well show them how to do it. <laughs> and after, after we were done shooting that, we had to be out of there in under 30 minutes, which meant we had to drain the, the bathtub, clean up the whole thing. And now it's like a white porcelain bathtub mm-hmm. that, you know, like like everything stained like, in that. And then it was unfinished floor. hardwood floors. Um, in under 20 minutes, there wasn't a sign of that blood anywhere. Yeah. Wow. Um, it was mainly just dren- or draining the tub that took so long. <laughs> yeah. And more gathering all my camera equipment. That too. That too. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah like that's it, that's why you know see we're big proponents of independent creators so like anytime someone's like hey i'm looking for fake blood um actually i think i remember who it was it was amy stolte who has been in you know a few of the asylum films and uh she was on that uh she was on that that youtube series and it's i'm totally blanking on the name of it but she played the gorgon and she was like hey i'm looking for fake blood and the first thing i recommended yours oh, thank Aww. you i appreciate it I, uh, yeah so thank you. S- speaking of independent creators uh marcus you are a a, a filmmaker and that's how we met was yep. through uh like we said the uh, dead of autumn uh horror festival because you were showing your film uh the last call and you have a new film coming out soon that i'm very excited about and I know at least your arm is in an upcoming film. 
because you pointed that out to us. In the trailer. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about The Last Call, because that is screening uh, next week, a week from today, the 20... 20- yeah, yep. a week from today. It yeah, is the uh, happenstance. Nope. Happen? Yeah. Um, it's at two places. It's Brianna's. Brianna's thing. Brianna's thing. Yes. And the it, what day? What day is it? What well, year is it? Well, when people hear this, it's going to be Thursday Where the fourteenth. So <laughs> Thursday the twenty-first is uh, Brianna's thing. Yes. Oh, that's uh, the twenty-first is, I believe, Friday, because I know Thursday I'm coming in. I'm going to I think New Hampshire. Yes, it's the twentieth. On the twentieth for happenstance. Yes. And it, then, then Brianna's. I think it's called um, the Silver Scream. Yes. Or I'm thinking of the Ice Nine Kills album. Uh, um, I think it's. Well, we can look it up real quick. See, this is bad. Like we're all friends with Brianna. We should know this. <laughs> she's gonna listen to this. And she's gonna be like, unfriended. "I'm sorry, Bree." <laughs> I'm sorry, Bree. We were trying to remember. Sorry, Bree. Uh, it's no, not the Rocky Horror thing. No, it's like it's, I know it's I know it's at Alchemy in Rhode Island. The Silver Screen at Alchemy. So it is in Silver Providence, Screen, Providence, Rhode Island. Yes. yes, close. No, it wasn't the Silver Screen. That's the Ice Nine Kills album. Correct. Which is a really Amazing. good album, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, he's, he's a fan. Like, yes, it is. I Marcus, love Marcus is a fan. Uh, yeah, we're we're huge fans. Uh-huh. We saw them Huge at like a fan. tiny little show before Rock and Shock a couple of years ago. We interviewed Spencer twice. Like, oh, he's such a cool dude. Yeah, super yeah. nice. Um, so yeah, so tell us a little bit about uh, you know the Last Call because that's got an awesome cast in it and uh, some really talented folks working on that, and it's fucking good. Um, Thank you. You know, just to throw that out there. Um, and then, you know, let us know about your uh, your upcoming projects as well. Totally. All right. So, so the last call. Um, so, the last call is it's uh, it's a short horror film that is um, that stars Terry Alexander from George A. Romero's Day of the Dead, and um, it um, it's about um, uh, Terry plays a um, a radio DJ named Harry Cunningham who's coming in for his last night on the air, and he's doing a call-in show. Where anywhere, anyone, any one that calls in for any request will be able. To, he'll play whatever. So this mysterious caller calls in and demands he plays a tape that never actually aired. And when he, when Harry refuses, the caller then tells him that if he doesn't play the tape, everyone's going to die. He continues to refuse. The power goes out, and people start dropping one by one until we find out what the dirt, what the horrible secret is, uh, which you'll have to watch the film yeah. to see it. <laughs> Uh, but it stars Terry Alexander um, from, Day, from, from Day of the Dead, um, Deibert, Elizabeth Piper S., um, who also does the special effects and produced it. Um, Jeff Lear, who is also in a, another web series. Um, I'm pointing to this, even though we can't see it, but Janice and the Golden Fleece. Um, Paul Sheehan does um, all the stunts, who's also in our film The Dark Offerings, who's also in Janice. Um, David Mork does the voice of the killer. Um, and we have a cameo by Laurie Cardell, who um, stars in Day of the Dead as Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Last Call kind of came about mainly um, we were going out for my birthday um, and we were trying to figure out something to do with it was Liz Meade and one of her friends. And 
Um, I was like, look, I want to do this, this idea of a radio station uh, slasher movie type of thing because my father was in radio and I had seen the movie Pontypool, which I loved. But, um, you know, I really, really liked the, uh, the isolation in there and how it really felt. So she said she knew Terry Alexander. And I, she's like, oh, do you even know who that is? And I'm like, of course I know who Terry Alexander is. Day of the Dead is in my top five favorite films of all time. <laughs> so I went home, wrote the script out um, in, what, three days, I think? I think so. And um, sent it to him, waited a week to hear back. It was the most nerve-wracking week, week of my life. And he loved the script. He loved the character. And, and this is a true story. He came out of retirement for the role because um, he had officially retired. So he came out of retirement and came in. We met up. And then we shot for four days up at, um, uh, what, what was the town? Oh, my God, this is horrible. Um, not Burbank, it, um, oh, crap. Um, <laughs> upstate, <laughs> sh- New York. Uh, upstate, we shot in upstate New York, um, at WHUD radio station. And, um, the people, they were super nice. They let us shoot there overnight. They were sweethearts. They, they, they just, they were so happy about everything. And the film, um, and then it took a little bit of time to finish it all up and everything and get it out there. And, um, we did some reshoots with the lovely guys from Fuzz and the Lens, um, who did um, who worked on Terrifier and mm-hmm. Terrifier Two, and um, who were amazing guys. But um, but yeah, no, the last call has been out and it hit the circuit um, in September, and it started playing in different two separate states every weekend, all the way up until February. We were very busy. Yeah, we were all <laughs> over the place. To all of them. <laughs> yeah, like it would be screening in. Um, in New York, at the in Staten Island, at the yeah. same time it was screening in Chicago and all that. It won a ton, tons of awards, and um, we did the SOS um, Indie Horror Film Fest. And Felisa Rose was there, who's a really good friend of ours, and she saw the film and she was blown away by it. That's how we got the quote from the film. Mm-hmm. Um, she really, really dug dug the film, and um, that was a really awesome moment because I've been a Sleepaway Camp fan for. God knows how long. Um, and yeah, the film's taken on a life of its own. So we're, you know, we're both very, very excited to be screening it Thursday and Friday. Um, Cause it's really the first time it's been screening live, you know, especially with everything. So um, I'm, yeah, we're, we're definitely stoked and we're excited to, to see, to have to spread it out there even more so. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, getting to see it at, uh dead of autumn was great uh because you were there uh terry came with you yeah which was cool uh you know we had that great interaction outside uh in the uh was it december or yeah it was late november was it it was the first week of november yeah i'm trying to remember it was december or november like everything's a blur like for the past 12 years of this year (laughs) um it's kind of (laughs) erased my memory but but yeah, like it was great. Like Terry was awesome. Like he was just, you know, going around taking pictures and signing stuff for everybody. Like he was just super nice. Uh getting to meet you for the first time. Like you were super personable and uh you know, we hit it off fairly well and I was like, All right, this guy's cool. Whatever he does, I'm promoting it. So Oh, I appreciate that. We, uh, we truly do. Terry is one of I mean, I I 
we both now consider him a dear friend. He is one of easily one of the sweetest, most down to earth human beings I've ever met in my life. And you know, working with him on Last Call, and since then I've worked with him on Dark Offerings. Um, he's, we're writing him into Janus. He's going to play a wizard in that, which should be <laughs> really entertaining. He's really excited about that. But I mean, you know, we've 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 had some great times together. I actually, I'll never forget taking him to go see Mandy um, at Alamo Draft House. Oh, you did that. Yeah, yeah, we, we saw that together. That was a really cool experience. But you know, he's got a heart of gold, and he's just very wise and intelligent mm -hmm. and just loves his fans loves meeting with people and it's just i can't i can't say enough not great things about it i mean about him um you know he's just absolute one of the best guys i know he is yeah he was class act all the way all the way yeah um so tell us a little bit about uh dark offerings without getting you know into too much detail because it's it hasn't released yet and uh you know give us some uh, some idea of what we can expect with that so we can't say too much, um, but we shot it 100% during quarantine, um, abiding by all social distance guidelines. It was one of the first ones to do it. Um, and um, we have an amazing, amazing cast. Um, you know, it stars Felisa Rose from Sleepaway Camp, Terry Alexander. We got Tamara Glynn from Halloween 5, Eileen Dietz, um, Michael and Jason Levy from Terrifier. Um, and some special guests that we cannot yep. tell you yet. Ooh. Got some big horror cameos Excellent. Um, in there, which is killing me not to say. Some more uh, big horror cameos, you mean? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> one of them that was uh, that we got, and I was. Nope, nope. Ah, <laughs> words. It's Can't the word. It, it kills me it. because I have this, this still image on my desktop. And it's like I stare at it every day, and I'm like, ah, I want to shot it, but I can't. No. Um, but um, but yeah, we shot for about 20 days, um, and it is easily the goriest film I've ever directed. Um, it's de it's definitely a character piece. It's got a lot of gore. It's got a lot of scares. It's got a lot of great um, dialogue and performances um, from the entire cast. I mean, yeah, I. I truly think everybody is going to get blown out of the water by the acting performances alone. Um, if if the scares don't get them, which I'm pretty sure they will. <laughs> we've only we've shown one scene to um, to our colorist Dave Green, um, who's also working on Janice as well. We have a lot of people working on Janice, um, but um, but Dave watched one of the death sequences, and his response was scared. Period. The period, living period, shit period, out period of period, me period, um, and it's it's been a sequence that um, whenever a character would die, we would show the rest of the cast. That's kind of how we would film it. Um, so we would have them see it, and they would react off of that. So the reactions are 100% real to a character dying and stuff. But this one got them every single time. This one, I would sit behind the camera and be like. <laughs> and I mean, it's also made me jump several times too and I've been you know we've, we've been shooting this thing very tight to us um, so I've been so the two of us have been sitting here every day just editing non-stop um, so as the editor of the film as well as the director I'm still jumping at this damn scene and it's 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 really good but I mean 
you know, we also we wanted to tell a story that didn't involve COVID either yeah. or quarantine or anything like that, because when we decided to do this, it was that's all you saw all over Facebook was COVID, was quarantines, was fear, was all this stuff. And we wanted to be able to take people's minds off of it for escapism. That was the thing that was really important to us is, you know, if, if we were going to do a movie, it had to be something that was believable that could take place during this time. And it you couldn't feel that it, it had to be about something completely different. Um, and I think we pulled that off pretty well. Yeah. You know, and the entire cast is just amazing. I mean, um, you know, Elizabeth kills it. We got Clifton Dunn. Um, who's also in Tower of Fire? Ben Frankenberg. Uh, yeah, Brand, Ben Frankenberg, Paul Sheehan, once again. Um, Tina Nicolova. Yeah, she's also in Janice. Same thing Lydia with Lydia Talman. Um, you know, the entire cast just does one hell of. They, Paul Sheehan. Yeah. Um, Paul Sheehan again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, everyone just does such an incredible job, and you know we we really do hope people do enjoy it. We hope people get scared by it, and we hope it takes people's minds off of everything that's going on. We're hoping to um, to drop a trailer within the next month or two mm-hmm. um, to kind of let people see some of some of it and be able to get it out there. Um, you know, our goal is to get it out there as fast as possible. You know, but I mean, this film is a true independent film. Um, you know, we shot this for a bucket of fried chicken. Yeah, the cost <laughs> of a bucket of fried chicken. <laughs> literally. 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 Um, <laughs> But I mean, like, yeah, it's it's definitely the effects that that are done in it too are some pretty impressive stuff. With, Thank you. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it, especially you know, if it's you know, after seeing the last call and then you know hearing you talk about this and like, you know, it's almost like you're you're talking about like. Oh my God! So my kids in honors, you know, made the honor roll, and he's you know valedictorian, and like you're talking about like a proud parent, and uh, both you guys just have like this real passion behind it, and I'm very interested to see what you do um, because I think you guys are very talented. Thank, thank you so, so much. Thank you. I'm thank very you. excited to to see this. So dark offerings. Um, what type of release are you thinking about? So we're kind of hoping, um, you know, the drive-in circuit's been really incredible. Um, I got, I've never been to a drive-in before. And I'm a huge Joe Bob Briggs fan, so I know it's sacrilege. Because I always go around and quote Joe Bob as saying, you know, the drive-in will never die. So I always said the first drive-in movie I ever got, I wanted to see, was it had to be an Evil Dead movie. Because Evil Dead is... What made the Evil Dead series is what made me into a horror fan. It's what didn't mm-hmm. change my life completely. That that's a whole story with all three of those films. Like that will go on for two hours. But um, so we went to go see the drive at the drive-in um, at the Skyline Drive-in in Brooklyn, and it was Evil Dead, and it was such an incredible experience for me um, because I was like, oh my god, like this is just. It, it just it felt different. It felt like I was watching the film for for the first time, and it's something that I definitely feel dark offerings will work well with. Um, I think it'll be I think it'll be a good group movie. I think it's something that um, the dialogue there's it touches on subjects that most horror films normally don't touch on that are 
somewhat controversial in a good way. Um, so hopefully we'll get people talking, but it's, it's a film that like at the end, we want people to be able to talk about, um, you know, we, we do hope to get on streaming on some type of streaming service. We are talking to two distributors right now, um, to see, you know, what else. And also I am a huge collector of physical media. If you ever go to my page, you'll see me probably bitching about people that are trying to get rid of physical media because to me, physical media means the world. I collect Blu-rays and DVDs and it's. I, of course, need a hardcore, beautiful, physical Blu-ray of this film with tons of features. And, Ooh. oh, look at that. Is I that have multiple VHS. You know, I picked up the Terrifier. I have VFW, Bad CGI Sharks, Color Out of Space. VFW was so good. VFW, oh. Um, really good. Talk to me off the air about if you're interested in VHS stuff. Definitely. We Definitely. have, we have a VHS player. We have two VHS players yeah. and my, um, my, my cousins gave us, um, cause they were cleaning out their place and they have a VHS DVD combo. Hmm. That is a DVD burner. So get that really rare VHS, put it on DVD and then put the VHS into some safe place. So it doesn't get destroyed. Precisely. <laughs> Yeah, I have the uh, the despecialized Star Wars trilogy like that. Nice. It's, it's on a Blu-ray. Yeah. But, but it, you know, I don't have to touch my VHS. But, yeah, talk to me afterwards. We, we'll definitely talk. Yeah. I think I got that at Rock and Shock, too. This I actually I just ordered. But um, Rock and Shock, uh, Survival of the Film Freaks, which you can see right here, this poster. Um Oh, nice. The Maniac-inspired poster. You, Amazon Prime, it's a documentary about cult films, and it's phenomenal. Really? Uh, yeah. That's how I learned about Alabama's ghost. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Watch it. It even comes, like, if you bought the, uh, you did the Kickstarter, like, I got the Blu-ray, I have the VHS, I have the soundtrack on cassette. I have the the bootleg DVD that they made uh, with like all the commercials from like the New England Aquarium, like back in the eighties. Like they spliced in all these old commercials to make it seem like you they taped it off of TV. Yeah, um, yeah, and they're they're local guys too. So, um, oh, that's um, awesome! Yeah, I'll, yeah, we'll totally check that out. Amazon Prime. Nice. Okay. Yes, yeah, so you had a uh, you had a question. No, I'm just listening. Oh yeah, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just really enthralled by everything and like cannot wait for dark offerings to come out. Yeah, and I I feel you on the drive-in like this. You know, I used I've been going to the drive-in since I was a kid. Like I remember seeing Superman four with my mom and my aunt at the Cape. Ah, um, that's awesome. I saw. Oh, that's amazing. Jurassic Park when it came out. Um, but there's oh. one near us. The last couple of years, they've been playing some older films and they'd pair two they have two screens like one screen one year was jaws and jurassic park and another year oh. was jaws and back to the future so obviously i being the big shark guy that i'm like i'm wearing my jaws shirt well one oh, of them, epic. one of them <laughs> that's um, amazing getting to see it at the drive-in 
is such a different experience like you were saying like watching it you know even on the biggest screen you could and then seeing it at the drive-in it's a totally you're in a different environment you know it's it's so different and it's the i think the only thing that might top it is like one of those screenings that they do like everybody floating in a pond or whatever and they project it onto a screen like or if you you know for evil dead you know out in the middle of the woods projected at a cabin or something like everybody oh stays at a cabin God. overnight oh, that'd be my dream. that would be so cool yeah uh, i want have to do that with bruce be... campbell yes oh yeah <laughs> i mean even without bruce campbell i think it would be amazing the bruce yeah. campbell thing if you're waiting on that might get a little sticky because you know <laughs> that it's tough to wrangle in appearance but, but yeah i think if you can get like an aesthetically pleasing version like if you were to watch the thing outside during the winter you know yeah. like, it would be tough like everybody's sitting in the snow but like really immerse yourself in that environment i think yeah. that you know really lends itself so you know getting to see evil dead like you know, most of these drive-ins are you know in wooded areas so it's kind of like you know they're not generally not paved so you're driving over like gravel and and grass the whole time yeah yeah we just went to um uh a drive-in screening of terrifier um at the chrysler mansion i think i'm um on staten island i think i'm saying the mansion correct but um it was they they were they were doing a screening because they're doing like um weekend screenings now um and it was a you know, because I'd only ever seen Terrifier through Netflix and on Blu-ray yep. and stuff like that. So seeing Terrifier on a, on a big screen like that was really incredible. Plus, like, you know, Danny was there. David Howard Thornton um, was there. Uh, Michael Jason Levy, Steve Delasala, um, a lot of the cast was, was there. Um, we were actually there um, as well with, uh, with a lot of job yeah. offerings people. So it, the it gore was... effects were that much more brutal. Yeah. <laughs> seeing it on the big <laughs> screen. It was, it was pretty something, <laughs> something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, uh, I imagine. So, speaking of Terrifier, um, you guys, you know, you you have some involvement with that film. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah. Um, so we're in the um, we. I did stills. Uh, I did stills for it for a couple of scenes for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we're in um. One of the party scenes, uh, I'm trying to be very vague, but there's yes. a big party scene. We just have a nice little cameo. Yeah. In one, in um, one scene. I'll be a sugar skull bartender um, in one in one part of it. And um, also uh, um, a character that was dressed up as a character from Janice and the Golden Fleece. Um, and in the trailer, if you look at when... Um, uh, uh, Lauren is dancing in in the club, and you look at a white sleeve, and it's it's on the right side of the frame. That's me. <laughs> oh my God, you're famous! I know, I know. I, I will only sign white sleeves now, but um, but you know, I've been dear friends with um, with once again with Michael Levy and Jason Levy and the guys at Fuzz in the Lens. Um, they've we've been working together on several projects. Um, they they're involved with uh. Last call. There were um, and dark offerings, obviously, but also we did a couple of little smaller projects together. 
Um, we're about to reduce, we're doing something for Jason coming up this month as well. So, you know, anytime that we can ever work together, they're, they're easily the best guys. They're great. Um, and they're just down to earth. They have a movie abnormal attraction that came out. That's just absolutely hilarious and astounding. And, you know, also like, you know, working, getting, getting to work on terrifier Two is just, it's to me, it's going to be the evil dead Two to evil dead. Mm. Everything that I've, seen i've heard everything damien has put into everyone you know they've that they've put all into this film it is going to blow people away it is it's i'm, I'm calling it the terminator 2 determinator that that's it's the only way to describe it and um i think it's i think it's easily going to be the best horror film to come out in the next 10 years i you know getting to we had we had david and damien on last week and getting to chat with them you know was you know really exciting because one of the things I saw when I watched the trailer and I got to tell them this because you know it's cool to be able to tell people this stuff um I got like as hyped to see this movie as like when like Avengers or like the new Star Wars trailer dropped you're watching this trailer you're like oh my god oh this is going to be insane like um yeah and I'm I'm really glad you guys got to be a part of it because like that's that's super cool to, you know, even just put on your resume like just like, yeah, yeah I was in this I did X Y and Z like yeah we are too I I had two little cameos as well um, pretty much similar to him like com- pretty much um, like one dancer and one uh, Janice. <laughs> That's awesome. Like that's so I will keep my eyes out uh, looking for you guys because apparently they said that there were other cameos that we need to look out for. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I'm uh I'm very interested to 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 break it down frame by frame if I have to. Right. I think we're going to have to watch it like one time through just to get the the feel of the film and then we're going to have to watch it frame by frame by frame to be okay, who do we see? Where are they? <laughs> Which is why you need a physical copy. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. So I think what we'll do, we'll take a quick break, and we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about some movie sharks. If you guys want to uh, hang around with us. Oh, totally. All right. So we will be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history, from the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd whose name Patsy, 
From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. didn't go too far because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things uh we're going to be talking about sharks in cinema and we're also going to be talking about some of the scientific inaccuracies and and falsehoods that continually get pushed in various media you know the one of the things i want to talk because i'll i'll start with you guys uh marcus and elizabeth when you think movies and you think shark, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Jaws. Jaws. Right. Because the original summer blockbuster, the the best, you know, for lack of a better term, monster film, you know, man versus nature. Um, and if you think about it, the shark is not the villain in this film. Nope. If If I were to say... Who who do you think is the villain? The mayor. The mayor. Well, the, it's either the mayor or Quint. Yeah. But but Quint can also be looked at at as the hero as well. I still say the mayor. I mean, I mean, the mayor is definitely a villain. He's <laughs> yes. definitely. The mayor is absolutely, uh, absolutely the the villain. I wouldn't call him the main threat. No. Um, no. It's it's a weird. It's a weird way to kind of look at it because of the the way the characters kind of fit together. Like, if you read the book, it's a little different. Have you guys read the book? I have. Yeah. Right. So you know how awful it is, and the ending is just the worst ending ever. I've heard. <laughs> Thank you. So it for is. folks listening who haven't heard this, uh, the end of the book is much different from the end of the film. Hooper dies uh, because the shark destroys the cage, and Brody kind of has a chance to help him, but he's like, well, you've been banging my wife, who likes you because you remind her of your older brother who she used to date in high school. (laughs) So Brody kind of lets Hooper die. Yep. Quint dies not by being eaten, but by kind of getting tangled up in the harpoon ropes much like Captain Ahab. And you see a little bit of that Ahab uh, mentality in Quint as the movie goes along and as he has more and more uh, interactions with the shark, especially after the USS Indianapolis speech. Mm. Brody lives, but there's no heroic shooting the air tank in the shark's mouth. It's the orca is gone. Brody is hanging on to a seat cushion that is designed to keep an eight-year-old boy afloat. <laughs> but he's hanging on to it, and the shark is coming, the shark is coming, the shark is coming. Brody closes his eyes, screams, and nothing happens because the shark dies of a combination of exhaustion 
and all its harpoon wounds, and it just stops and sinks. Super awesome. Wow. (laughs) It's just the worst. So That sucks. While Mythbusters has proven that shooting an air a compressed air tank will not cause it to explode, still a far better ending than the book. So if anybody ever says, Yeah, the book was better, you can punch them right in the face and tell them that they're a liar. (laughs) I wouldn't you don't have to. None of the cool stuff happens to the last hundred pages. Yeah. A lot of it is like there's a close call, like a kid almost gets eaten, but like Brody pulls him out of the water and like sees the shark swim away. And there's some weird stuff, but not as weird as the sequels because I've read the sequel books as well. Really? Uh, Yeah. So apparently Jaws 2 was like the mate of the first one. And it was seeking revenge, which they don't do. Um, and then the fourth one was like the spawn of the first two hunting down the Brodies once it reached maturity. So, yeah, that's, yeah, oh, it's not good. Yeah, Jaws the Revenge, I mean, Jaws the Revenge the movie. It follows them to the Bahamas. Well, it also, uh, and that's, so we'll start with the Jaws series to start talking about some of these uh, inaccuracies that are portrayed in film. The first one being the idea or the concept of a rogue shark. Yeah. Uh, rogue sharks do not exist. No. It's, it's not true. Uh, one shark will not continuously go up and down, um, you know, a coastline yeah. feeding on people. Now, most people will tell you, but Jaws is based on the 1916 attacks at the Jersey Shore, which is true. However, those were bull sharks. Those were not great whites. And the reason we know that they are bull sharks is because one of the things that does not get uh, talked about so much is that there was a group of kids swimming upriver. And only bull sharks can survive in fresh water. And the reason they are able to do so is because they have elongated kidneys that store salt in their body and kind of recycle it throughout their system so they can spend an indefinite period of time uh, in in fresh water because they still have the salt going through their body. Wow. And only bull sharks are able to do this. Uh, I was earlier today, I was uh, replaying the game Maneater, which came out a while ago. I've been wanting to play that. It's really fun, and the fact that it's essentially like a uh, reality show and it's narrated by Chris Parnell uh, makes it even better. Like, if you get killed by an alligator, he'll say, well, if it makes you feel any better, I had a whole crock pot full of gator kielbasa earlier today. <laughs> it's random stuff. It's it's brilliant. It's well done. And it gets some of the science right, but then again, it's a video game. So, so yeah, bull sharks... Uh, one of the biggest uh, places that they hit is uh, in India, in the Ganges River, where, uh, as part of Hindu funerary rites, uh, corpses are floated down the Ganges River. And, you know, there's big funeral processions. There's people in the water. You know, there's flowers. There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, the river is also heavily polluted, which attracts the, the sharks as well. So the sharks are just coming in and, you know, 
most sharks are scavengers. They they prefer to uh, to eat whatever is already dead rather than expending energy to chase something down. So the bull sharks will go in, and a bull shark has a very specific attack pattern where it will come in and it will kind of headbutt you. And most people, like, don't realize that they've been hit by a shark. They look around like, oh, I don't see anything. Because bull sharks will come into water that is just deep enough where they can move. Like, it doesn't have to be 20 feet or 30. Like, as long as their body fits in the water, they will swim in it. So they could get you two, three feet of water, depending on the size of the shark. If you do not challenge them after they initially bump you, they assume you are an easy prey. And they have five times the bite force of a great white. So this whole Jersey Shore thing was perpetrated by a series of bull sharks back in 1916, including, like, somebody... uh, one of the sharks attacked an 11-year-old kid and was just destroying him. A grown man went in, tried to help him. Another shark took him out and killed him. Oh, my God. So you have oh. to be – this was in uh, New Jersey. Clever guy. Yeah. <laughs> so the concept of a rogue shark was kind of uh, put forth by Jaws. It's like, oh, well, all these people are getting killed. We've only seen one shark. Or we think we've only seen one shark because most people have a hard time differentiating different species. Obviously, tiger sharks are easy because they have the the tiger stripe coloration pattern. Uh, Great whites because they're everywhere all the time. Like that's the most, uh, you know, prominently featured shark in all of media. Um, You know, people can recognize that. Plus, they're very distinct. You know, with the, the the gray on the top, the white on the bottom. Uh, they have a very torpedo-looking face, but you know, if you showed someone a short fin mako or a, a a bull shark or a lemon shark, you know, or a sand tiger, like you'd have, you know, it would be tough for people who don't spend their time looking at different sharks. Like, what is that? Well, I don't know. It was a shark. Well, what kind of shark? I don't know. It was brownish. Mm. Like, <laughs> if you if you know what to look for. You know, there are certain, you know, you can tell what kind of shark something is. But if you're being attacked by one, it's a lot more difficult to be like, you know, it's like a, a mugging victim. Like, oh, yeah, he was uh, five foot three with, uh, you know, brown hair. Way. And it's like, you know, what did it look like? I don't know. I was fighting for my life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and with bull sharks, one of the first things they will do is they will take a nice big chunk out of your leg because it it's just there. a nibble. Because it's there. And they. Unlike a lot of shark attacks, you know, and this is another myth that's perpetrated by the media is, oh, sharks don't like the taste of people. Like, I just rewatched all three of the Deep Blue Sea films. And, you know, that's one of the, oh, they don't like the taste of people. It's not what it is. Sharks don't have hands. So anything that they do, if they're, when you see a shark biting something, that's where its tactile sensation comes in. So a shark bites a human and its teeth sink into the bone. And they realize there's not enough fat on this screaming, flailing thing to justify my effort in chasing it down. Seals have tons of blubber, and the sharks can tell that a seal, you know, when they bite into it, they they feel that with their teeth and their gums. So, like, okay, this is going to take me a long time to digest. This is worth my effort. 
people it's not the same which is you know another myth perpetrated so when it comes to this type of stuff like is there something uh for for you guys when you see shark films is there something that like okay i'm expecting this thing to happen um is there a specific like trope for lack of a better term that you're like okay this is going to happen it's a shark film it has to happen because this is what i've been taught my entire life um you have to have that one person that's freaking out that's um that's blaming everything on the shark you always have to have that person that's just like no you're misunderstanding the shark it really wants to do this uh and then the person that's always like okay let's you know let's figure this out that's very much it (laughs) i mean i think it also i think it really does depend upon honestly the shark (laughs) i mean mean, the the shark the shark movie you know what i mean like like if i'm watching like open water i'm I'm expecting something different than if i'm watching like ghost shark or you know like three-headed shark or um the shallows um you know, um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like in terms of like just tropes, like, like, like there's always going to be somebody that goes in. I'm, I'm always expecting someone to go swimming late at night into the water. That too. Basically trying to outdo Spielberg. I always, I always feel that like everyone's always trying to outdo that's the opening sequence in Jaws. Like mm-hmm. there's, it's such a, it's such a like perfect opening to a film it's so terrifying it's so well done even though it wasn't the intention of spielberg because originally it was supposed to have the shark come out of the water thrash it left and right just like the opening of the book but the shark just never worked so they just said screw it and they did the other the way that we see now which works a million times better like if they had shown the shark in the opening sequence even even in that lighting it would have probably killed the whole thing you know because you'd be like oh okay well um but I mean, like in terms of other films, I'm always surprised by certain things. I mean, like Sharknado, you know, that that, that surprised me. <laughs> that's fair. I think that surprised a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Or the Meg. Like Meg is very different. Oh, Meg's great. Yes. Yeah. I will. We will get to the Meg. We will absolutely get to that. Don't you worry. Crashes. <laughs> what about you? When you when you watch a shark movie, is there like a specific thing or like maybe a specific phrase that somebody's gonna say, like, "Oh, sharks don't like the taste of people." You know, is there something like that that you're expecting? Well, I know that the trope that pretty much every shark film has, whether it's a, a an actual shark or a ghost shark or shark related weather. Um, that the shark is going to be this man-hungry killing machine. And we know that sharks in nature aren't necessarily that way. I mean, some sharks are definitely more uh, active than others. Some sharks are feistier Mm -hmm. than others. But, you know, some sharks don't eat meat at all. Some sharks, oh, I mean, they eat plankton. plankton. They have baleen, yeah. like similar, well, similar kind, yeah. kind filter of, yeah. feeders. Um, you know, similar to that of the humpback whale. Uh, so yeah, you 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 enter into these films knowing that there's going to be that one scene 
that a shark is just going to uh, completely annihilate somebody and there's going to be a lot of blood in that water and honestly it creates a really beautiful visual yeah so i'll 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 address a couple of the stuff that everybody said so first one at night sharks especially a great white they tend not to hunt at night because despite their uh their fearsome uh reputation they are more akin to ambush hunters which is why we see all these things on like uh, animal planet like the air jaws thing when they show the shark breach out of the water you know after a seal the reason they're doing that is they're coming from underneath they 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 travel they have fairly good eyesight especially during the day and when they look up they see this contrast they see something that looks like a seal swimming at the top and so they are coming up from the bottom to uh, disable it, really. Like, if they're able to to latch onto it, they'll latch onto it. But hammering it with the point of their, their head, that's their main goal. So if they're able to do that, uh, because, like I was saying before, sharks expend a lot of energy. They do not sleep. They continually swim. They can't, uh, with the exception of a couple of species, they don't have uh, swim bladders like fish do that allow them to kind of hover. They constantly have to move forward with their mouths open, passing water through their gills. So because they they use so much energy, think about like a, like a cheetah chasing down an antelope. If a cheetah doesn't get it right away, it gives up because it just doesn't have the energy to sustain that chase. Same thing with a shark, especially like a great white. These things are huge, you know, 18, 20 feet, you know, 16, 18, 20 feet, uh, you know, three tons, two tons. You know, these are huge animals. So the amount of energy it takes them to catch something, the risk has to be equal to the reward. So if they're catching a seal, they're able to digest that blubber for, you know, months you know, in some cases, or if they find a whale carcass, they'll latch onto that and they'll just start eating that. Like, they're not these, you know, they are apex predators in the fact, you know, in, in the sense that nothing really eats them except orcas, really, but or other large sharks, but nothing comes after them. Like, they're at the top of the food chain. Like, it doesn't mean that they're constantly hunting and killing things nonstop. Just because you're at the top of the food chain doesn't mean you're not lazy. Right. <laughs> it's not lazy. Look, lions, they, male they, lions they don't for, hunt. Uh, they look for uh, conveniences. Yes. You know, eating a person, uh, Gary Larson put this best, like eating a person to, to a wild animal is like uh, the equivalent of us eating spam. You know, it's like, I think it was like two uh, two crocodiles or something that he had in the in the cartoon for the far side when he's like, it's like, oh, that was great. No horns, no, no, no claws. Like, just soft and pink. Like, that's the best. Like, why don't we eat this all the time? Um, so that's the one thing. Like that, they're constantly on the lookout. Like you were saying, they're they're at night hunting. Like they they don't. Like they tend to hunt during the day because it's easier to see. Like that's that's just. Uh, and. Like you were saying, Ash, with the, the, you know, high kill counts that you see in all these movies. Like, because that's another one of those tropes. Like, you always see, like, oh, the shark killed 40 people yesterday. And, like, it's just, you know, not stopping. Sharks kill an average of seven people a year. 
seven in the world. Meanwhile, humans kill roughly a hundred million sharks. I mean, people go into the shark's environment and cause trouble. Like, if a bucket of chicken skateboarded across your living room, like, it probably wouldn't have too good of a chance of getting out. You know? Like, that's kind of what you're doing. If you don't go into the shark's house, like that lady on the radio a couple oh of years ago, God. stay out of the shark's house, shark will leave you alone. Shark's not going to come out and come to your house. Like, you come to my house and I don't know you, we're going to have a problem. And that's what we see with sharks. Um, another trope uh, that was recently uh, kind of heartbreakingly discovered to be fake is that sharks cannot get cancer. What? And uh, that was the thing that uh, I think it was in Deep Blue Sea 2, 1 or 2. It was in one of the two of them. It's the went. first one. No, no, no. The first one was Alzheimer's. Yeah, but they, I think Alzheimer's somebody mentioned at one brain. point, like, sharks have different physiology. They can't get cancer. Like, I forget. I watched all three of them back to back, so they kind of blended together. Although I will say the third one, actually quite good. Not as good as the first, but way better than the second. I still I, I still wish that, that they did the original sequel they were going to do, Deep Red Sea, which was originally supposed to have Bruce Campbell Ooh. be the person that brought the sharks from the first one to everybody. Of course he did. Yeah, that, that was the original script. And then Warner Bros. is like, who's Bruce Campbell? And then they just... Oh. <laughs> well, the, Big the, mistake. Well, the first one, <laughs> they used Mako sharks, which are the fastest. The short fin Mako is the fastest shark, faster than the Great White. It's, uh, I think, top speed, about 35 miles an hour, which is pretty impressive. Uh, faster than a marlin, faster than uh, a sailfish. Oh. Yeah, they're they're fast. Um. And the second two were all bull sharks, which, you know, again, you can do a lot more with bull sharks because you can put them in freshwater situations. Uh, there are a couple of movies like that. I think Shark Lake is one of those. Uh, with Dolph Lundgren. Yes. Uh, there's bull sharks because it's on a lake and they're like, oh, there's sharks. It's like, there's no sharks in the lake, stupid. Um, so that's another trope that, that sharks can't uh, can't get cancer. Like, they can. Uh, and, you know, researchers have found sharks with uh, cancerous tumors growing out of them. And it's, oh, it looks awful. And it's it's so sad, like, because I, I love me some sharks. And sharks are such a huge part of the ecosystem. Like, to the point where if anybody has played The Last of Us 2. Like, no, 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 no spoilers. No, this is not a spoiler. Uh, but there's a significant portion... Uh, that takes place in an aquarium. And as you walk through the aquarium, there's like a whole shark exhibit. Oh, wow. And like, there's a whole, like all the stuff painted on the walls, like sharks are a huge part of the ecosystem and like this and that, like there's a lot of really cool, um, like actual science knowledge. Like this is what would happen if we took sharks out of the ecosystem. This is what sharks do. And it's like, just this whole like, uh, exhibit all with with various shark stuff like i thought that was super cool and i think that's another trope too the facts that uh films make it seem like sharks are a nuisance mm. 
whereas in fact they are an integral part of the ecosystem well right like here in in massachusetts we have seen over the last decade or so this huge influx of great whites and the reason why we see this huge influx of great whites especially in say chatham is because that is where the fishermen are and the fishermen bring fish following the fish are the seals following the seals are the sharks but nobody wants to do anything about the seals oh seals are cute look at the water puppy like nobody wants to do anything right like (laughs) seals are cute they can do tricks sharks are scary with big pointy teeth so we have to kill all the sharks okay kill the sharks now you're gonna have more seals and fewer fish the seals are screwing up the fishing industry we saw this uh when you eliminate a natural predator because you think they're a nuisance this happened in uh, like montana uh, a few years back where there was an abundance of wolves so they went out and they killed all the wolves with no wolves the deer population exploded and started destroying all the crops so then they're like well that was a dumb idea and they started shipping in wolves from all over the country and canada to combat the 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 deer population it's like there is a balance to nature you have to maintain that balance when you tip it too far one way this is what happens now the deer become the nuisance and nobody can you can't kill the deer because the deer were cute you know and it's the same thing we see with the seals people will kill the sharks before they kill the seals even though the seals are the real problem so when it comes to sharks it's very difficult to know what something might have looked like 25 million years ago because sharks are cartilaginous and the only part of them that is bone is their jaws and their teeth so they do not leave behind skeletons which is why some of these older shark species like one of my favorites the helicoprion has nothing but a uh, fossilized imprints of their teeth because even the teeth at this point after millions of years have been dissolved the helicoprion has what can only be described as a saw blade of teeth sticking out of its lower jaw and scientists still cannot agree on what this thing actually looked like so when it comes to something like say a megalodon there's a See, I, I told you I'd bring it back. <laughs> There's my best Jason Statham. <laughs> a lot of a lot of uh, disagreement in the scientific community when it comes to what this shark actually looked like. Now, the scientific name for this is the Carcharodon megalodon. People most closely as, uh, uh, associate it with Carcharodon carcareus, the great white shark. And they just assume that because they have, you know, similar jaw structures, that they looked the same. I'm just going to say it right now. Somebody really missed out on naming it a Sharkosaurus. That's true. I agree. Just saying. Yes. Tyrannoshark. That too. Um, So you have the Megalodon, which literally means giant tooth. Uh, 
because if you've seen, I'm sure you've seen the pictures. Everybody's seen the pictures of the jaws of the megalodon with six full-grown adult men standing in them yeah. with room to spare. Or Steve Alton yeah. in the middle. Or Steve Alton in the middle. Yes, <laughs> Steve Alton's such a nice guy. Um, great. So we're gonna we're gonna get to your Steve Alton connection in just a moment, but when you saw the Meg and you've read the books, I've read the books. Uh, when you saw it. Was there one thing, because to me there was a huge glaring problem with the design of the shark. Was there one thing that you looked at it and you were like, nope, that doesn't seem right based on all the science from the books? Oh, the, uh, the, the, the fact that the shark glowed. The luminescence, I think is... is yeah, the bioluminescence, is. yeah. There was, yeah, it that, was supposed that, that's how it saw underneath. Also, yeah. the way that it came up in the books... Which I was really hoping to see in the movie. I wasn't. Yes. But when it when it got the PG thirteen rating, I didn't expect it. But in the books, it killed I think another megalodon. It got tangled it, up. Yeah. Yeah, and it, but it used its blood to keep its body warm mm-hmm. as it skyrocketed through all the uh, all the trenches. The thermocline. Awesome as hell. Yeah. So in the book, uh, what happens is they are they're trying to tow the sub back up, and the megalodon gets kind of tangled up in in the tow cable and it gets ripped open and all the blood attracts the second megalodon who essentially rams herself into it and starts eating the guts as it's being pulled up and that is what protects her from the freezing temperatures of the abyssal region of the See, uh, that sea. makes so much more sense yes but pg-13 right but, that also doesn't explain the shark at the beginning of the first one. At the beginning of the Megalodon, the first shark that Statham encountered. So how did that one get up? I digress. Uh, yes, to me, the bioluminescence, that was the biggest thing. This was supposed to be a blind albino shark. Because when you are that far down, there is no sunlight. I think at around 400 feet, there's no more sunlight. So either you create your own light, like we see with, a, like, say, a hatchet fish that has, like, the little dangly doodad that glows, that lures fish, and then they eat it. You know, uh, an angler fish, not a hatchet fish. An angler fish. You know, or some like of these. Like in Finding Nemo. Yes, exactly like in Finding Nemo. That's where I figured people would, would know him from. Uh, and you get some of these other fish, like these weird, like jellyfish that have like all the lights that go up and down their whole bodies, because there is no light down there. So most of the things, if they have evolved eyes, if they are fish that live down there, they're blind. You know, crustaceans uh, that live in the bottom of the ocean are mostly blind. You know, at that at that stage, but they're also white because there's there's no need for pigment because there's no sunlight. You know, there's no reed that doesn't need to hide. You know, like a great white shark looks the way it does because if you're looking at it from above, it's going to blend in with the seafloor. If you're looking at it from below, it's going to blend in with the sky and the ocean and the sun. So either way, it's blending in. That's why there's such a stark contrast. But Marcus, you you have a specific connection to the Meg. So if you would like to, because I was, I was blown away by this story and I would really like you to share it with our listeners. <laughs> Of course. Well, um, back in the day, I used to have a horror movie review website um, that I used to do tons of interviews for. And um, my mother 
um, got me into sharks. Uh, she made me watch Jaws when I was a kid, way too young, but because of it, I've always been attracted to sharks and that and like shark movies and stuff. So um, when I found the book Meg Primal Waters, which is the third Meg book, um, I picked it up, started reading it, and fell in love with it. Then I read the original. And um, I would just do random interviews. And Steve would, this is back in America Online days for all, for all the youngins out there. Um, so I, Steve, I think it, it was like his, I, I forget what his email, what like his tag, game, his tag was, um, or his AAM. And um, it, um, I remember finding him on there because he just had it on his, uh, on his official page. So I messaged him. And was like, hey, I'm a big fan of the book. I run this website. I'd love to interview you. So I did an interview with him. We kind of hit it off. And um, he was doing stuff for The Lock at the time and um, Meg 4, The Hell's Aquarium. So I told you know, he said he was going to run a contest. And I said, well, I would love to be in, um, in Meg's Hell, you know, Meg 4. Like, it would be amazing, you know, under one condition. Um, you know, I at least get to meet Jonas Taylor. Like, I want my character to come into contact with Jonas Taylor somehow, some way. And he said, of course, man, you know, like, just, you know, uh, one question. Do you, do you want to live or die? And I'm like, well, of course I got to die. Eaten um, by a giant shark? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, no, no, I don't get eaten by a shark. Um, I won't spoil how I go, but um, I'm in a couple parts of it. And it's really cool because you're reading that book. You know, and it's it's a really cool storyline and everything. Mm-hmm. And then you get to that, you know, and then it's like, boom, there's Marcus Slavine. And I'm in this story. And That's so cool. Uh, yeah. And um, he put corks of me in there, too, because I used to do Jerry Seinfeld impersonations. So my character does that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so my character. So my character in the in the book does that. And um, yeah, so it's, it's also on my IMDb. So I've. Always been very, very proud to be in as a character in the uh, Meg series. Uh, yeah, I I would do the same thing. I would let everybody know all the time. Like that's how I would introduce myself. I'd be like yeah. uh, uh, Robert Schaefer in uh, in the Office. Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of business are you in, Bob? Um, yeah, that's that's what I would do. Now. I don't. Uh, you said you hadn't seen it, but in 2018, because this is what Asylum does, they create uh, what what's called mockbusters, and they uh, they did a movie called Megalodon with uh, Michael Madsen, <laughs> and uh, you know close friends of the show Dominic Pace, Paulina Nguyen, uh, Amy Stolte, Ego Makitas, Elizabeth Cron, Carolyn Harris, uh, just a stellar cast. Uh, and James Thomas directed it. Super nice guy. Like he sent us an autographed copy of the movie, so we have that. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, super nice guy. Uh, everybody on that on the on the cast that we've been able to talk to has just been, you know, a, a phenomenal person. And you know, we've had them on the show multiple times. Uh, yeah, they're they're all great. The depiction of the shark that they had was uh it was definitely much larger 
but it also looked a lot more prehistoric. It almost had like these large, um, like, like the head kind of looked like the shell of a snapping turtle, like the large pointed ridges. And like I was saying before, nobody's really sure what this thing looked like. So you could kind of take whatever creative license you want. Like most people assume, you know, that it looked like a great white because the great white is the apex predator. It's the largest shark, you know, carnivorous shark. If you don't count like, you know, the mega mouth or the, the whale shark or the basking shark, which, uh, if you've never seen it, there's these really cool pictures of a uh, whale shark or a basking shark. They're about they're essentially the same thing, but whale sharks are bigger. Uh, it opens its mouth, and the mouth is full of remoras. So instead of them being on the bottom and feeding off of whatever scraps uh, yeah. are from the shark, they live in the mouth, and they uh, it almost looks like their teeth are remora fish because they they are. Uh, filter feeders so they'll take these huge gaping mouthfuls of of food and they just filter it through so all the plankton filters through and they expel the water there have been divers who have been accidentally swallowed and then spit back out because the shark will choke on them because it's the divers are too big like they can't they can't pass it through oh my god um those are some lucky divers. Yes, yes. So some some scientists are of the opinion that instead of having, like, the pointed, uh, streamlined head like a great white or a mako, they think it had more of a rounded, blunt head like a tiger shark or a bull shark because they didn't have to be fast. They were already huge, and they would feed on whales, and whales weren't you know, like going to be winning any races. So the big thing that they think uh, they would have trouble with is uh, it's essentially a giant uh, sperm whale called Liviaton melvilli, obviously named after Herman Melville. And these things like sperm whales, 50, 60 feet, you know, 70 tons. They have these large conical teeth in their lower jaw that fit right into sockets in their upper jaw. They're they're not they're nothing to screw with. Like they eat giant squids. These were bigger than that, and these would like these were like the two apex predators that always fought in the ocean. So scientists think that in order to combat these things, because they weren't nearly as smart, they had to have similar types of uh, of body structure you know like the sperm whales have those big square heads and they've been known to ram boats so the shark had to be able to twist and turn and ram back uh, it's just a theory but I kind of like the fact that they didn't have to be super fast but that's one of the depictions that we see in movies anytime there's a giant shark it always always looks like a great white Great whites aren't the most aggressive. It's the bull sharks and the tiger sharks, which are the most the most aggressive. That's also what Peter eventually said. He flat out said that, like, you know, once Jaws came out, because obviously shark killing started, you know, increase immensely because of all the fears of it. But he said that had he known the effect Jaws would have had, he never ever would have written it. You know, because he realized that sharks were not like what he wrote in the book. So he, he did regret actually writing the book. Um, 
because of that. Yeah, I've I've heard that uh, that I. Uh, that I've heard him say that well not hear him say that but I've heard that attributed to him and it's it's true like there's so much conservation going on now uh, with folks like uh, Ocean Ramsey is like the first name that comes to mind because she's probably the most prominent but there are so many people that are trying to you know chase this stigma away it's like these are not I won't say they're not scary because if you're confronted by one it can be terrifying you know, they are very powerful animals, but it's no different from, you know, getting it, you know, having an encounter with a bear or a wolf or, you know, a lion, you know, depending on where, where you live. Even a, a badger or a wolverine can can really mess up your day. I imagine you don't care. <laughs> so it's difficult to have, you know, especially where there's at this point 45 years worth of films all depicting sharks as uncontrollable killing machines. Like, that's all they do. It's like, oh, they smell blood from two miles away, and, you know, they're just going to swarm on you and kill you, and, like, that's what's going to happen. Like, you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, so speaking of having 45-plus years of shark films, I have a question for everyone, and that is, which film has your favorite shark depiction. So not your favorite shark film, but which film has your favorite sharks? That is interesting. You go first. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, throw me on the bus. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you a minute. I'll go first. That way you have a minute to think. I'm okay. going to go with... Yep even though it's only loosely based on actual events and they are only kind of assuming what happened because of the camera that they found. I'm going to go with the first open water. Uh, the reason I pick that one is because it's a more realistic uh, depiction of how sharks are. So first of all, it's basically these two people that went swimming and they got left behind by their boat. And it was assumed that they were either drowned or were eaten by sharks because they found a, a shark in a fishing village. They cut it open and found their camera. Huh. But they never found them. Wow. But the way they depict it in the movie is, you know, these people are just kind of floating there, and the sharks are attracted anytime they have to void their bowels or urinate. Like, that attracts the sharks. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's not, you know, like, oh, suddenly we're surrounded by 220-foot sharks. It's, you know, there's a six-footer, there's a four-footer, there's a you know an eight-footer, and they're all different kinds. They're tigers, they're makos, and they're kind of like, they'll circle around and they'll bump into them. Like, at one point, you know, the shark, one of the sharks does take a bite out of the guy, but that's... It's more realistic. Like, it, it, they didn't all of a sudden get swarmed by 50 sharks and killed, you know. So I think that would be, for me, I think that's the most realistic uh, depiction. And if we're going by realistic, I, I have to agree. Um, also because they also shot with real sharks that were just, yep. you know. I mean, but, you know, Jaws has always been my favorite movie, but it's also been, you know, I mean... It's just as bad as shark. Uh, 
you know, so I, I, I kind of got to give it up to him. Although, you know, um, I guess I'd have, yeah, I, I guess I'd have to go with that. Elizabeth? I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to go with Jaws too. Um, it's definitely the nostalgia is there. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's not how sharks really are, but at the same time, it's um, it's iconic, and the acting in it is just so immensely good. Um, but the Meg is definitely up there in my mind of the next top shark movie, because the idea of a prehistoric shark coming up to the surface, what would it do? It, it basically did what it would do, which is yeah. basically like, oh, there's tons of food here. This is great. Um, it has no predators. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, yeah, there's no competition. Yeah. Um, so Not even that, that seems pretty realistic in a scientific aspect of like, I agree what with you. actually happened. Um, and everything that the book talks about, it's very probable of what could happen, you know, the layers of, you know, cold and warm water, um, you know, warmer being towards the earth, you know, the shark being able to come up in some, you know, crazy way. And then once he gets up here, he just wreaks havoc and that, that makes sense. Um, it really does. So that, that one definitely competes with Jaws, but I mean, Jaws, you know, it's the original often imitated never duplicated yeah yeah exactly yes what do you got so i mean obviously my my favorite shark film is jaws it has to be jaws for a, a multitude of reasons um you know obviously the the depiction of the shark all of the uh practical effects that went into it uh obviously like we we cosplay as quint and the shark yep you know, um, it's just it's just so ingrained in everything. Uh, but my favorite shark depiction actually comes from Finding Nemo. My name is Bruce. Well, I mean, there's that. I love that the his name was Bruce, as you know, obviously an homage to Jaws. But uh, I kind of love that. I mean, I think they're adorable. I love cartoon sharks to begin with you know shout out to jabber jaws bad cgi sharks sharks. bad cgi sharks um but i really liked how they took these characters and almost tried to undo some of the tropes that have happened Mm. uh, over the years you know because about five minutes and, and everything well i mean but you know the whole like Fish are friends, not food. Right, like the Sharks Anonymous thing that they had, you know, Eaters Anonymous or whatever that they had going on. You Except know, that, that they one were guy trying brought to a be... skeleton. He was he was trying his best. Okay, Relapse. he was trying his best. But no, how they were trying to um, conduct themselves in a uh, more of a proper manner and be more fish friendly and not be these reckless killing machines which is exactly what people think that they are yes but you know in nature sharks eat fish so ultimately it shows that you can't you know nate it's almost like nature versus nurture a little bit you know you can't 
It's go- like the the people that try to make their cats or dogs vegan. Yeah, like you, that's it's it's not it's not necessarily natural, but it's like you can't go back on on what your your instincts are. Right. But I just plus it's a really fun part of the film. It is. So then I am a nice shark. The next question <laughs> has to be what are some of your like favorite wacky depictions of sharks that it's like it doesn't have to be accurate it doesn't have to be like a good film it just has to be i really enjoyed the way you know five-headed shark attack ate danny trejo like <laughs> although i think I that was three i mean i used to i i when i was doing my website i i had a run-in with all the shark attack movies um, including Megalodon, which I got sent for free. And um, basically, they tried to make this movie. The first half of that movie is literally Jaws with a $5 budget. Hmm. And then the Megalodon comes out. And it's literally a, a giant great white. But instead of them actually doing actual CG or doing anything special with the film, or for better words, giving a shit, they just took a regular Great White's video clip. And it's the same clip. It's one clip um, of the sh- of a Great White coming out of the water, like its head, um, kind of like the picture you have behind you, mm-hmm. and just made it bigger so you can actually see like the box around it. Um, and they they just they just enlarged it very poorly, and just had things go into its mouth. And that's the movie. That is one of the. It's 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 horrible. I mean, but it's like one of those cheesy bad films. But like, I really love the first Deep Blue Sea. I think Deep Blue oh, Sea so was great. Good. I think Meg, you know, seeing Meg was. I mean, I saw you know it was the last movie I got to see with my mother, so she introduced me to Jaws and Meg was. But like seeing that on a big screen, um, yeah, I, I kind of have to go with kind of those. You know what I mean? Like they're just they're just super fun. And also, let's let, let's not let's not forget Jaws two, the one of the best sequels that people seem to forget, kind of like Psycho two, um, but like Jaws two. I mean, shark eats, eats a helicopter. Like, what can I say? <laughs> it's entertaining as fuck. Are, are we talking about fun or bad fun? Whatever, I, whatever. Yeah, let's see. It's your call. Dealer's dealer's I choice. Think- Jaws 3D was always so entertaining as a kid. <laughs> the same shot reasons. of the shark over and over when he breaks through the glass. Oh my god. <laughs> that, that's the exact part that I'm thinking of. Um, also that the guy wears a red, you know, uh, scuba suit and does not think that he's going to get eaten by a shark. <laughs> and he gets saved by dolphins. Yes. No, yeah, no, no, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> yeah. Who says, yes. who, and I quote, says, I was in Jaws 3. Ah, <laughs> oh, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> oh, good old Dennis Quaid. <sighs> no, it's kind that, of... that, that film is so fun. And then there's also, also Sharknado, which I still can't get over the fact that a tornado would not just pick up one shark, but, but many sharks. Many times. Into a twister. And then they would have the enough energy to actually attack people. <laughs> it is I mean, technically possible. Like, scientifically, it's possible. But 
Yeah, maybe one. Maybe dead. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So you'd have a bunch of decomposing sharks flying in a tornado. Which I'm sure has happened. Zombie sharks. Zombie sharks. <laughs> zombie sharknado. There you go. That's probably one of that's probably a zombie shark movie. How about you? Zombie sharknado. Um, trying to name something that hasn't been named yet. I mean, we all know I love the Sharknado films. Absolutely yeah. love them. They're so bonkers and so much fun. Oh, you know what's really great? Yes. Fun. I mean, of course you know. I do. Um, <laughs> Sharktopus. Oh, and there's two sequels to that. Sharktopus is a lot of fun. The half-shark, half-octopus hybrid. It's just completely bonkers. The Roger Corman and film. So much fun. I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but... It's... Eric Roberts is the bad guy, and yep. it's just great. No. <laughs> and there's two sequels. There's... Uh, Sharktopus versus Terracuda, which is a Pteranodon Barracuda. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I believe that's the one with Costas Mandalore from the Saw franchise. <laughs> and uh, Sharktopus versus Whale Wolf, which is essentially a killer whale wolf combo. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More sense than Howling 3 and kangaroo <laughs> werewolf so i'll take it okay <laughs> um so if i'm gonna pick one um sharktopus was good i i will say deep blue sea has probably one of the most out of left field deaths you will ever see someone spoiled that for me oh and because i'm terrified of sharks coming at the screen like that fucks me up so I'm very glad someone spoiled that for me because I was expecting it the whole time. See, uh, that was that is still one of the best. Like, I'm giving a rousing speech. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say Alexander Skarsgård. Was it Alexander, the guy from? Uh... True Blood. No, uh, I don't know what I haven't seen. True Blood from he Thor. Was, um, the Exorcist. For the beginning, yes, where he was the yeah, older. He's also in Pirates of the Caribbean. He's um. That's a different. Will Turner's no, dead. That's uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Yes. Stellan, that's what it. Is. That's why I was, I was, I was like, I don't, I don't think that's the right one. Yes, Stellan Skarsgård, the 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 patriarch of the family. There, his death, like after he falls back into the ocean off the, when the helicopter crashes oh, God. and the shark uses it as a battering ram to smash through the lab like <laughs> that was that was good um, he has like three deaths in that movie too oh, he, he gets his arm bitten him. off then he falls into the water then he get oh yeah he, he has a rough time that guy yeah um if i'm gonna go i mean bad cgi sharks if you guys have not seen that it's on tubi for free watch it it's phenomenal house shark is another one that's on tubi um, both put out by SRS Cinema. The yeah, they're a lot of fun. But uh, I don't know. I will caution people against uh, if you're going by the cover art for Amityville Island, you will think that there's a giant shark, like a giant possessed shark. There's not. Uh, I think the shark is in it for about. 30 seconds. Oh, 
but the poster art is this giant possessed shark about to eat a bikini girl. Oh, and no. <laughs> I was so upset. <laughs> like the essentially I think I saw the plot your of post this... on that. Yeah, I oh yeah. The plot of this movie is some lady buys a bunch of stuff at a yard sale from the original Amityville house and she brings the spirit back to her home which gets inside of her and she kills her family and then she goes to jail and she's forced to fight other inmates for like some weird website and then they take the strongest ones of them and bring them to the the island and force them to undergo like genetic treatments so they can use their wombs for super soldiers like it's like spoiler alert it's like five different movies like crammed into one 80 minute film and it's like what direction are you going in it's like an anthology film but it's all the same characters and same story um but yeah that's uh that's kind of like uh, Open Water 2, because I remember watching Open Water 2, and Open Water 2 seemed to forget about one thing. Yeah, there's no sharks. Sharks. Like, no, no, no. There, there is the moment where, where and, I, and I thought everyone was an idiot in this movie. It's basically a bunch of people are on a yacht, and they all hop into the water, but they forget to put the ladder down. So then, so the whole movie's going to be like, we can't get back onto our boat. And it's like at one moment, one of them's like, oh, my God. Oh my god! And it's like the whole movie. You're like, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, we got past this part. Let's get to the sharks. Let's get to the sharks. And at one point, someone goes, oh, "I felt something bump my leg." Oh my god! And I'm like, finally, forty five fucking minutes yep. into this goddamn thing, sharks. Nothing. Nothing. So people complaining and arguing, and they're like, "Why did you put the thing down? I don't know. Why? Why did you do it? I don't know." And it's ninety minutes of that. It's like butterfly effect too. Just oh, it's so it's yeah. I was not happy with that one. Oh. The third, I never saw the third one. Is, does the third one have sharks in it? I don't think I've seen the third one either. Yeah, you kind of lost people after that. Yeah, like the whole draw to open water was the fact that they were, they were sharks. Like nobody cared about, you know, nobody wants to see a bunch of assholes arguing about like who didn't bring the ladder down. Yeah, it's like it's like they they watch open water and they're like, you know what? It's not the sharks that it, it's people being stranded. That's what everyone's going crazy about. No, 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 no. It's yeah. Let's just do that. We'll do that for a film. It's easy. We don't need any money. It's cool. <sighs> yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, pretty much going to do it for the shark uh, discussion because we've been going for nearly three hours with this this. Uh, oh wow! Whole oh thing. damn! Yeah, it's almost eleven. Like we, whoa! I'm knocking shit down. Yeah, we we linked up around like eight, and then yeah. So we've been we've been going for a while, but this has been a fun conversation. Like you guys are great yeah. to chat with. So before we uh, before we let you go, um, where can folks follow you on social media? Like, where do you like folks following you on social media? Um, we talked about the uh, the uh, the website, which will be in the show notes as well. Uh, so uh, Elizabeth, we'll start with you. Where do you like folks following you? Um, well, they can find me on Facebook, Instagram, um, even uh, what's the site that you're not at uh, TikTok. They can find me on TikTok, too, um, on Elizabeth Piper S uh, for Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. 
And um, they can also find my company at Cine, spelled C-I-N-E, um, blood dot, uh, or cineblood.biz um, online, or they can try and com- uh, contact my uh, production company, which is uh, what made Last Call, uh, Dark Offerings, Break In, Janice and the Golden Fleece, uh, which is intolabyrinth.com. Or uh, email me at info at Into the Labyrinth. Marcus? Um, I'm basically on everything. So um, you can find me on Facebook, just, you know, my name, Marcus Slabine. Um, you can also find me on, on Instagram. Uh, this is Marcus Slabine. I think there's only one of me on there. Um, I'm also on t- um, Twitter. I'm on Twitter at, under the Doc Offerings. Um, I think it's, it's the offerings I think is on there. Um, you can also follow the doc offerings on Instagram at the doc offerings, 2020, um, is on there. And you can also go on to, um, uh, Facebook for the doc offerings as well. Um, we are going to be doing, yeah, um, and, um, we're going to be doing a contest very soon. So you can win one of these limited edition posters um i'm pointing to it and holding it right now even though this is not a visual show but um <laughs> oh yeah it's, it's so cool but um and uh <clears throat> we're gonna be giving away uh some of these to contest winners and it's basically we're asking people to follow the facebook the instagram and or the twitter two out of three uh, i know a lot of people that if they have two out of three um and then send in your best scared face. Um, so um, there will be a picture that did to demonstrate it, but <laughs> we'll pick one of these every other week, and they will get a goodie bag with some stuff in it. It might have some stuff from um, different websites and stuff like that and different um, apps and stuff like that. But you'll also be winning some of that, uh, some of the autographed posts. They'll be autographed by over 15 people, mm. um, which we're gathering right now. So, yeah. And those are some pretty rad posters. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So, uh, I think with that, we'll uh, we'll let you guys go. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, we anytime, be... my man. Thank you for having us. Oh, yeah, of course. And we will be right back. On June twenty seventh of this year, sixteen year old Jack Weeks, excited to be out at the beach, ran to the water and dove in. But it was too shallow, and Jack landed awkwardly. He damaged his neck from his C four through his C6 vertebrae. He was instantly paralyzed and unable to breathe. The quick thinking and fast action of some bystanders, which included some doctors, ER personnel, and everyday heroes who happened to be at the beach that day, saved Jack's life. Now he and his family face an uphill battle to pay for uninsured medical costs and the many changes that must be made to their home in order to facilitate Jack as he adjusts to this new chapter in his life. You can help by going to helphopelive.org backslash campaign backslash 17554 to donate, share, and learn more about Jack's situation. A link will also be in the show description. You can also choose to mail a check to Help Hope Live to Radnor Corporate Center, Suite 100, 100 Matsonford Road, Radnor, PA, Make checks payable to help hope live with In Honor of Jack Weeks on the memo line. 
Anything you can do to help will be greatly appreciated by Jack and his family, especially his parents, Cammie and Kip. You might recognize Kip from his role in The Strangers and how active he is in the horror community and with our horror family. And now he's reaching out to us in the horror community as our horror family and relying on the kindness of strangers to help his family overcome this daunting adversity. Please share Jack's story and donate if you can. Thank you. It's been 10 years. 10 years to plot and plan. And now, Debbie Wilkins is back. A decade after her killing spree on the set of The Bayou Butcher, Debbie Wilkins has returned to the spotlight. And she's getting the attention she craves. But will she bathe in glory or in blood? Debbie isn't the only one who's been plotting and planning. And when worlds collide, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage. Does Debbie have what it takes to stay on top? Or will she end up on the cutting room floor? Debbie Rashawn, Stormy Daniels, and Diana Prince lead a cast of badass women in Axe to Grind Part 2, coming soon. Support the Indiegogo campaign by joining the Facebook group, clicking the link, and choosing your perk. Want to be in a scene with Stormy? You can. Want her to kill you? That's up for grabs, too. How about your face in the movie, or your artwork, or your own music? All of these perks and more can be yours. Support indie horror. Don't make Debbie ask you twice. Hey there, this is JB, and if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. such a great interview like they are fucking delightful people um i know you guys and couldn't so see so talented yes i know you guys couldn't like see both them individually and together but like they're also adorable like like they they're just they're so nice like they're yeah they're they're great um so ashes we have uh we have a long show so we're just gonna close up as as quickly as can but we have battle results to talk about we do have battle results so this was a lot of votes week i mean people love their clowns apparently send in the clowns (laughs) flawless crusty so last week we threw down just clowning around which clown has what it takes to entertain the children and pulverize their opponents and the stipulations were last clown standing 
the sandbox was Samuel Vanek's birthday party. You know, the kid from the Babadook. Oh, fuck that kid. <laughs> and these special guest referees were the insane clown posse. Magic everywhere so you in could this bitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, fucking blankets. How do they work? No, that was the parody one. Blankets uh, is the parody. But magic everywhere in this bitch is from the actual song. Yes. Um, so anyways, you could choose from Art the Clown from Terrifier, Pennywise from It, Twisty from American Horror Story, or Slim from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And on, let's see, on Facebook, Pennywise. It was close. It was between Pennywise and Art the Clown. What was the, What was it like, you know, eight to nine or something like that? Uh, a close call. It's a difference of one vote. Oof. There is one vote that separates the two. I voted for art. I also voted for art. Uh, but it was Pennywise from the It. I'm going to say It franchise because it was a culmination yeah, of... We, I, I think, think we, we said, said the, the book. book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, that, was that was not scripted. That was not scripted. Oh, my God. Uh, get your own mind. No. And then on the Twitters, let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh, shit. We have a three-way tie on Twitter. This has never happened. Ooh, three-way on Twitter. We're, yeah, we're having a three-way on Twitter. Join us. My OnlyFans page. Yeah. <laughs> I almost had a threesome last night. It only needed two more people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's funny because it's sad. <laughs> so we had a three-way tie between Art the Clown, Pennywise, and Twisty. Oh, Slim's getting no love. I mean, he didn't get so Slim didn't get any votes on Facebook, but he did get some votes on Twitter. I am surprised. Not enough. I would have expected. Uh a couple of people to have voted for, uh, like, a s there's one person in particular. Well, I mean, she might have missed the poll. Hey, maybe. You know, it happens. Or maybe this person thought that some of the other clowns, I mean, you could be a fan. Like, I'm a fan of all of these clowns. Well, except for Slim, because I still haven't seen Killer Clowns, and I'm going to have to rectify that soon. Mm -hmm. uh, especially trying to find pictures to put in the Facebook poll, looking at some of the art and stuff from Oh, it's Killer so clowns. cool. Like, the oh, effects man. are amazing. Oh, I, I need to see this, like, sooner rather than later. Oh, and Spencer Gray commented on this saying, <laughs> Pennywise and Twisty are the Justin Bieber of evil clowns. That's, uh, <laughs> Which I, was I get it. And Spencer, of course, the director of Axe to Grind or mm -hmm. Axe to Grind Part 2, uh, which translates better over audio. Yes, yes. You can't you can't see the uh, the letter two. Yeah, the letter two, <laughs> which is why uh, in the ad that you heard earlier, I I said, axe to grind part two, because they were like maybe say axe to grind part two instead of axe to grind. I was like, yeah, works better. But yeah, we have uh, we have some good stuff coming up. We have some uh, interviews with uh, some uh, some authors, book reviews coming up in the next couple of weeks. Right, and that'll happen both on Shark Bites and Throwdown Thursday. That is correct, because we want to make sure we're timing them for the book releases. So, 
yeah, you're going to see a couple of those next week. And uh, we're really excited because these are some really good stories. And uh, can't wait for you to hear about them. And uh, we have some other stuff coming up in the works. Like it's we have stuff planned into, into September. Um, it's yeah, a lot of a lot of doings are transpiring. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, we've got some good stuff coming up. So stay tuned. And I think with that being said, <gasps> we, we will see you next Thursday. Thursday.